It's time to tune up the band, put a pack of ramen on your head, and get ready to show off to the world. Yes, it's another picture-perfect sweet chinwag podcast. I am Sam, joined as ever in this wacky world, and journey through professional wrestling is Dan and Reardon. <laughs> right, so we are on to episode three. It should have been him. How WWE ruined Dolph Ziggler. This one's going to be a very, very interesting episode. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, we are coming to you free of charge from the lovely people at SoundCloud. Whoop, whoop. I still need to try and figure out and how we can gain approval. And maybe other good podcast providers later when they accept us. <laughs> Please notice us, Senpai. <laughs> Please. Please do. We, we never hurt a fly for the most part anyway <laughs> let us uh before we get in to the main part as i said the meat and potatoes let us get on with the news and we take it over for the first time ever we are taking it over to dan <laughs> wrestling news <laughs> this is wrestling news <laughs> uh yep so i mean we're gonna have to start with the uh big story of uh the week I, I feel so bad having to start this with another condolence yeah um yeah. but we do have to give our condolences uh thoughts feelings to the rest of the wrestling community with the announcement of the death of hadakamura uh upcoming wrestler with stardom mm. uh becoming very well revered even at a young age um and I think it's really serving as a real poignant point to the wrestling community at large. Obviously, um, wrestling fans themselves weren't necessarily put to blame. Um, mm. it's, been, it's been attributed to fans of a reality series that she was also featuring in. But uh, I think this is a big point in time to say that there is no place for this kind of behavior. Yeah. yeah, it's not needed, and yeah. I think we all know that we can do better. Yeah, I I, I think um, we're especially considering this in the early stage of this podcast. I think it's I think it's important to note that one, there is no amount of wrestling that's worth the life of a human being, mm -hmm. and also that. We ha we have fun and we may whine and complain, and we will continue to do so. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> yep. But we we're here because we love wrestling and we love wrestlers and we wish nothing but the best of all of them. Yeah. So to hear that someone has died, it won't it pro it won't be only because of it. But it would be some of it, and that is unacceptable. Absolutely. It yeah. sucks I... knowing that I um, am a massive fan of um, Joshi Wrestling. Um, and Hana was one of the really kind of the big rising stars of it. I mean, heck, she was in the pre-show for Wrestle Kingdom 14 in the first New Japan women's match. Or one of the very first New Japan women's matches. Um and the fact she was there front and centre speaks volumes of how good she was. I had the pleasure as well of seeing her live um, once. And uh, she, yeah, you could just tell that she was just... 
she was well on her way to becoming the next Mako Satomura, without question, in my opinion. And she was definitely up there, um, ready to take the world on. And it just, it, it, it was a shock when I first heard it and um, saw it. Um, but it just kept getting even more shocking for me when you when you read into it and started to realise what had actually happened. Um, but you're right, Dan. There was there's no place for this. Yep. There was there's zero reasoning to why this happened. And yep. I think the best the silver lining, I guess, in all of this was just the solidarity and camaraderie of every single wrestler from everyone in the major leagues uh, to everyone down in the independents and just starting out it was it was really nice to see for once yeah yeah it's just like 21 right or something like that yeah yeah 20, yeah. 21 20, yeah uh, and i think just the ending statement from myself uh, as we wrap this up or wrap this little section up is just saying that whatever energy that you could be using and putting into you that tweet about that wrestler, that performer, that person that you may not necessarily like, it could probably be used better somewhere else. I think Maybe I... just to reconsider your thinking about that and reconsider and really think about the actions that you have and the effect they have on people around you. And I, I think um, for those people who might be listening who feel like this is the only way out, it really isn't, please talk to Talk to your loved yep. ones. Talk to your friends. Talk to someone and get get some help. Yeah. And uh, you know, even I will though I echoed that to the ends <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> Very true. And even though I once on this podcast did say that Jeff Jarrett was overrated, that doesn't mean I have to go on social media and tell him how overrated he is. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. a. Uh, but if anything, just... it will be Jeff Jarrett complaining about you. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I wanna I wanna preface this by saying, Jeff, you're actually quite a good wrestler. It's just a shame that you've been booked over the years to be a bit crap. <laughs> uh the only thing I'm gonna say about Jeff Jarrett in this conversation is echoing the words of Christian, then Christian Cage of TNA, which is Don't piss me off. Wow, that's money. <laughs> But um, we move on to the next section and uh, move on to slightly less disconcerting news, but still unfortunate to hear, which is uh, Kyrie Sane receiving injury in a pre-taping of an episode of Raw from Nia Jax. Um, another one onto the record um, and another story coming through. Um, it's extremely sad to see, especially A, given that it's happened to Kyrie again. Uh, twice in two months. Uh, apparently, it's uh, just a it's just a cut to the head she received after um, a spot involving a set of steel stairs, um, and nothing as serious as the last one after the botched buckle bomb, mm. uh, which uh, Nia Jax did. But it's still very disconcerting to see, not least seeing that she is now in the title picture for the women's Royal Women's title against Asuka, uh, and it does fill me with some fear, and I get the feeling that maybe uh, some of the female talent may be somewhat hesitant in the future. Yeah. I don't remember Nia Jax being this, like, hurting people for real, E. I think... Uh, I don't remember... I Like... 
did for me, like personally, remember I, I, again, preface, I am the, the most casual <laughs> wrestling fan of the three. But know of Nia Jax's work, it seems like this has really started to pile on as time has gone on. Yeah, well supposedly it it's followed on from her I believe she had double ACL surgery. Mm, mm. That's right. Um, and it's been after that that she's been doing such, well, I say high-profile botches, but uh, as many as she's done. Um, but I would think it's kind of odd, though, to see someone like Seth Rollins, who caused injuries and had quite significant botches with um, uh, the failed buckle bomb on Finn Balor, mm. which put him out for a long time after he initially won the Universal Championship. Mm. Um, and a f- I think a few other instances where he had injured people um, <clears throat> injured himself and came back and to my knowledge he hasn't had any major ones in about the past year mm. um, so it is weird to see this kind of break up and disconnect and seeing her come into the title picture as well um, does give me some worry Um but remains to be seen how it comes out and how things develop from there. Yeah. Um, again, now moving on to <laughs> even slightly better news. Um, supposedly, Drew Gulak has now since re-signed with WWE. Woo! Um, so it will be very interesting to see how that develops. Um, hopefully, he does bring his kind of very different style to. I mean, they're kind of keeping him in around the cruiserweight division, but. Um, will be interesting to see, you know, how he uh, plays into this and whether maybe not we'll see him working with Daniel Bryan again in some capacity, which I'd love to see. Mm. It's an interesting one. I don't know if it's 100% confirmed or not, but from from what I've heard, it's either he has resigned or he's just fulfilling obligations for filming yeah. dates. Um, but uh, it's... It, I just... I do I do really like Drew Gulak and I just want yep. to see him on TV wrestling... And it doesn't matter kind of what company he's in. He's uh, I just want to see him wrestle because he's just so damn smooth. He's like yeah. That. I've said I've said he's absolutely deserving of the spot. Um, and really, the more of him that we get to see, the the happier I will definitely be. He's uh, he's the, he's the US's version of Zack Saber Junior. In in, in 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 all the good ways, in all the positives, mm. if you ask me. And by the way, those two they've had some amazing matches on Evolve. If you have Evolve, or you do have WWN Live, watch those matches, because they're so good. Yeah. Uh, now going on to other matches and all their various different ways, um, just like to give a brief mention of AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view, <laughs> which I have to say that I was honestly incredibly impressed with. Oh, man. Um, what, what a pay-per-view. <laughs> MJ, MJF uh, Jungle Boy was very good. I absolutely loved it. Probably it was a fantastic, you know, pure wrestling match. Mm. Um, it really solidifies to me that MJF is really one of the top talents out there right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, he had such good technical skill and such good ring presence. And he, he just really was showing off everything that he had in that match. Um, and, you know, it was very kind of interesting to see you know how the different match styles of matches came around um i believe it was nyla rose hikaru shida mm-hmm. 
um, which is a very good match as well. Very good show from Hikaru. Yes. Um, and really just captured everything. And I, I'm going to get my own words in, and we'll transition over to Sam to talk about the wonder that was the Stadium Stampede match. <laughs> I know that a lot of people in wrestling right now use the phrase, you know, funny doesn't make money. And a lot of people really, I guess, have this super serious lens. But the stadium stampede was just the purest representation of maybe that kind of controlled silliness that wrestling can have. And there were so many good little bits. My special, my personal favorite was the uh, Matt Hardy spot where he was being dunked under into the pool and coming up as different iterations of Matt Hardy, which I thought was just in just incredible and so well done oh just i will i will like sum it up uh for myself in in this sentence i know a lot of i guess the the judgment people have on me is that i i am the serious wrestling fan i do like my uh my straight to straight wrestling but uh my thoughts on the stadium stampede match are this this is the reason i love wrestling so much <laughs> Good God, the silliness, the 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 actual wrestling itself, but combined with this pure unbridled silliness and just sheer idiocy of the entire event was amazing. And every single person in that match was on top form. Like, let us start with the fact that the Inner Circle came out in like full American football garb mm. and Jericho was just being an absolute flipping idiot and just loving the fact he was being an absolute idiot in that. And then the elite come out minus Adam Page uh, who like five minutes into the match ends up riding in on a horse and chasing Sammy Guevara down <laughs> on a, whilst horseback. And I'm just like, yes, yes i love this so much and it only and i think hangman page's segment in the bar with jake hager was just like oh one of my favorite parts oh that that was amazing <laughs> yeah no, it was just it was just so good uh a little thing for you as well marty skull appearing as well i know you'd absolutely love that oh yes being the elite yesterday um i had a nice little uh, moment right at the end where uh, the day before Double or Nothing uh, Paige and the Young Bucks are in their hotel room trying to huddle up and get hyped and wondering what inspiration or where they can find the inspiration to do this out from the toilet pops Marty Skrull going I'm back to which you know they're trying to shoo Marty off because they believe he's the waiter with a stupid British accent and then they go running after him because the guy's you idiot you forgot to tip the waiter <laughs> I have to say uh, just as another side note before we move on to the next point one of my personal highlights from the double enough pay-per-view was uh, Darby Allen in the in the casino ladder match he was absolutely incredible and did some really, really dicey spots. Yes. Um, but really, uh, really made them work. Not least jumping off a ladder with a skateboard, but the one where he was lying on the ladder, and I believe it was Brian Cage threw him on the while well, he was on the ladder off to the side of the ring. Yeah, that was a rough landing bump. Um, <laughs> but my God, did he put in an absolute performance and really just, really just, 
helped it go to that extra level. It's mm. really given me a whole level, another level of respect for him. I'm going to be going back and watch some of his previous matches because he's absolutely fantastic. Again, uh, another man I've seen live, and I think it's one of those things. If if you're so on the fence about Darby Allen and don't like his in ring style, which I can fully understand. Uh, you need to see him live and in a crowd because I think you get a much deeper appreciation for his ring-ring style and his uh, risk-taking, uh, death-defying leaps of faith and coffin drops. But yeah, a debuting Brian Cage in that ladder match wins the uh, yeah. wins the number one contendership for the AEW Championship. And let us not forget... Definitely like... very interesting um, to see him, you know, come brought in as the mystery guest after... Um phoenix's injury yes um and to be given such a big push i'm really hoping to see really big things because i know he's a good performer he's he's he is a machine as as he's a nickname uh yeah. so lovingly calls him um let i love the fact we have not talked about the tnt championship match because it was a good match but the one stickling point of that entire match was i the... mean it, it wasn't it was a good match but I it's won't the deny title. it was it wasn't a good match i mean i was what i was gonna say was the moment where arn anderson intervenes gets kicked out jake the snake roberts gets kicked out Jake the Snake Roberts comes back for whatever discernible reason, <laughs> at which point Mike Tyson takes his shirt off and threatens him and makes him stay away from the ring, I mean, which I have to say is a personal highlight of mine, yes. because it's just, I don't know what if something was supposed to happen and one of them forgot, but it seemed like it. Um, and also the fact of it took Cody Rhodes doing two crossroads in a row to finish the match. Um, but <laughs> still... Um, supposedly the title is an interim placeholder. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to look in the end, or whether it's just going to be that TNT title, but with gold plating. Um, I is... sincerely hope not. It does look like, like but... a, a Mid-Eastern, like, old NWA title that they found in someone's bag. I'm not going to lie. Well, what, I... it, what it looks like is it looks like someone... The only way I can think to describe it is it looks like a title that someone designed on, like, Photoshop, but, like, they paid the intern to do it. I, I still think it looks like a dinner plate. That's all I can see. It's like, <laughs> it, like, a, like a silver it was, platter. Oh, that's the thing. Because, like, I mean, you... When we were talking before this, you mentioned the Ring of Honor title that mm. is literally just R-O-H in big block letters. Yes. But that works though because it actually take it pretty much takes up the entire space. Yeah. It's not in a tiny circle in the middle of it with just a load of empty space around it. <sighs> it's it, but, it, it's a looker, you know, for some. <laughs> it's it's interesting, and we'll have to just wait and see what it looks like when it comes back. I know a lot of people, kind of including myself, aren't a big fan of red strap titles. Mm. Um. You really have to. You really have to get it on point to make it look good. So I'm thinking, like, the, remember the old TNA one? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that looks good. Um, the North American maybe... Championship looks amazing. Let's yep. be honest. But um, with how it looks in its current state, I'm not a fan. We'll say. <laughs> But speaking of championships, we <laughs> go on to the next point. In going back to WWE, Apollo Crews winning the United States Championship from Andrade. Oh, man. Um, About big time. win for Apollo Crews. Um, mm. I absolutely love to see it. Um, 
I'd love to see what he does with a championship run. I'm hoping this will be a really good start of a heel push for Andrade because I think he needs it. Mm, yes. Um, I'd love to see what he can do. You know, maybe give him a slight switch up of character and make him kind of obsessive over winning back the title against Apollo Crews. You get a bit of that interplay going on. I think that could be fantastic for Andrade and even push him up to being a main event heel. Yes. Um, um, I find myself, though, being very um, cynical with Apollo Crews winning. Every time I see it, I, my brain just keeps going, okay, what's the catch? What's the catch? I know. I know. It feels like there's some kind of catch, and I feel like we're still very much live. I mean, we're living in a post-Kofi world, so we're kind of expecting it. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. that's, a, that's a way of putting it, a post-Kofi world. Jesus. You know, I'm very happy to see it. I'm very, you know, I was very impressed with him in the ring. I think he's absolutely deserving of it. Yes, and um, the fact he and... won with the Uha combination as well, the indie mark in me went, oh my god, it's Uha Nation. Oh my god, yeah. I love it. I want to see Uha back now. You know, it was just so, so good. And I think it's going to be a really good jumping off point for both of these superstars. Absolutely. All I'm calling it now Andrade Drew Feud because I want to see that. That would be yeah. amazing. It was amazing can... in NXT. I want to see it on the main roster. I can easily see that happening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, depending on the current situation, how things kind of develop, if we're talking about the main roster picture, <laughs> you know, I'd love, I'd love to see Apollo Crews, you know, make that, maybe make that step up to main roster, or something like main roster, main event, sorry. Mm. Um, and, you know, start maybe getting some pushes towards the top, because I think he could have some fantastic matches with people. Absolutely. And now we go on to our final piece of news, uh, as reported by PW Insider, uh, on the 18th, for the 18th of May this year, uh, WWE has since renewed licenses uh, on the initials WCW for explicit pur purposes of merchandising. So we may be seeing a whole load of either WCW nostalgia memorabilia or it may be in licensing in preparation for something else or some kind of event, but it seems like they've renewed it. It's no surprise, I, I, really. I'm not surprised. To be honest, I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised that it's taken this long. Yes. <laughs> to be like, you'd think that that's the kind of stuff that would happen like straight after um, Sting. Yes. Given that... Like, mm. you Given that... The circumstances of which we will not discuss here, but <laughs> but if you if like if I was ever to do it, I would have done it then. But hey, it's been pretty much a long time coming. I would be very surprised if they started doing something like proper wrestling wise with it. I think just going to be a merchandise thing that would be that would make the most sense. Yes, but yeah. then again, what has life or wrestling ever made sense? So we'll see. We'll see. I want my WCW Monday Nitro branded Zubaz pants now, please. Oh, dear God. <laughs> dear God in heaven. I know you wear them and all. <laughs> I would wear them along with my uh, with my satin WCW Monday Nitro jacket. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds repulsive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
But no, I'm not looking into it as them going for like a, a WWE CW thing. I don't think there's going to be like a, a, a fourth well, yeah. brand. Not in a some, million some, years. Some have, uh, some have proposed it may be for some kind of WCW themed nostalgia event or some kind of um, you know WCW themed celebration or some some something of that kind. I don't see that happening. I assume it's just over images and licensing rights. Um, all the items as they've described in the PW Insider article um, seem to just be your very generic, cheap merchandising items. Nothing particularly incredible that points towards you know anything that might incredibly think make me think. Oh, they're planning some kind of event. You know, mention stuff like trading cards uh notepads um stationery and decorations <laughs> get your wcw um, christmas baubles photo <laughs> photographs um file folders sticker albums collectibles uh figures things like that so i can only assume it's not going to be anything super crazy Although, hey, maybe they're playing the long game for um, Hollywood John Cena to come out. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, no. Hollywood, jo Hollywood oh. John Cena. Uh, what do you reckon? Ra Randy Orton as well. Yeah. Um... To come back in like 2028. 20, <laughs> Virgil will somehow still be able to make his way into it. We don't know how, but Virgil <laughs> will because it's sake. Virgil. <laughs> He needs that twenty-five dollars. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, I won't look into it too much. Um, yeah, but all I'll say I'm is I want my re great things. I want my remaster of WCW NWO Revenge. I'm putting it out there. I mean, like anything is possible. Anything <laughs> is possible. But like, we seem to be on a real big remaster kick, uh, video game wise. So <laughs> I wouldn't be so like I like real talk. If they um if they had the balls to remaster um, SmackDown versus Raw, like a big SmackDown versus Raw collection. I tried. Seeing as they're not making WWE like 2K21, do you reckon they can just remaster WWF No Mercy? No, because they need to make their money off of Battlegrounds. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right then, scrap that dream. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the news. <laughs> that's the news. Uh, nice. Nice little segue there into our main portion of the podcast. How it should have been him. How WWE ruined Dolph Ziggler. This is... I've been excited for this one since we started planning this. Because it's a very interesting take. This is going to be a more of a, an opinion-based thing. A very interesting yeah. take on how we have viewed Dolph Ziggler in his entire career. And um, our favourite highlights and what... We f I feel like ruins a strong word. I feel like it's how how WWE kind of squandered. Dolph well, it, I mean, sense. I think I think a big thing to mention here is that what some would consider to be the defining moment of this is very much not his fault. Yes, in in the case with a lot of other people that we talk about in the terms or we use the phrase, you know, how they were ruined. You know, like we're back in episode one when we talking about Booker T and the whole, <laughs> um, you know, Triple H thing and the kind of obsession with burying. Yeah, it was kind of designed for him to fail. 
But in this case, the one with the thing we're going to be talking about as kind of one thing many people point to as the center point is the concussion he received as a result of Alberto Del Rio. Yeah, that is a that is a uh, that is a bit a big of a stickling point. But uh, um, before... and that's kind of the that's kind of the big one. But yeah. we will be going through other various bits that um, you know have kind of been people have pointed to as saying that this is where he was held back. <laughs> so shall we start at the beginning, which is always a very good place to start. One yep. one day, there was a man called Nick. <laughs> no, we're not, no, we're not going that far. We're not going that far. Who one day saw Boogie Nights and thought, you know what? I want to be Dirk Diggler. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and thus Dolph Ziggler was born no I mean it's it's an interesting one for Dolph um, when we talk about him kind of being squandered and being held back slightly when he has been a WWE guy his entire career um, yeah accomplished wrestler in uh, Kent State University in Ohio straight after before he was going to get a master's degree he got signed to WWE and then was sent to developmental straight off the bat. Yeah. And started training then. If I believe right, his first match, courtesy of Cage Match, the wrestling in the internet wrestling database. Um his first match was uh Eminem versus uh Nick Namath and Steve Lewington. Oh, wow. So mm. yeah, in that match Eminem did take pick up the victory. Yep. Um, and there seems to be a few months after he started in OVW. Um, I remember a quote from Jim Cornette as well when he was running OVW at the time saying, I knew he was talented, but I didn't realise we had the second coming of Kurt Hennig. Yeah, in... that's been that's been a big thing in talking about Dolph Ziggler. Um, it sounds weird that I'm going to be quoting from a... Uh, a, a YouTube commenter here, but uh, it was a comment I saw on a video. Uh, I should say uh, my inspiration for this episode was by a YouTuber called I believe Plana or Piana Productions mm-hmm. on YouTube. He's a very cool uh, wrestling YouTuber. Does a lot of fancy booking stuff, but as yes. well, but um, we'll be giving him a shout out as well <laughs> um, for this episode and inspired me to go about this. Uh, but uh, it was a comment on one of his videos where he said. Um, they could have had the second coming of Shawn Michaels, but they made the second coming of Test. Oh, ouch! Ouch! ouch. Oh, that hurt. And the more I think about it, the more it rings true. And when you say when you say about Jimmy Cornette saying he, he had the second coming of Mister Perfect, yeah, because they had someone who, you know, I mean, if it was only if you're saying it was only months between his start OVW to his first match. Yeah. You know, that's that's a lot quicker than a lot of than a lot of people. Yeah. It is indeed. And I think that is proof and testament to just how how blooming good, naturally talented he was. Mm. The first thing I want to bring up with you two in terms of Dolph Ziggler and kind of uh, his unfortunate kind of um stop starting is I think he has been dealt the short end of the stick when it comes to gimmicks. And I want to start off with his first main roster gimmick. Yep. Kerwin White's caddy. <laughs> oh, I mean, to be boy. fair, when you're, at, when you're at the bottom, you can only go up, right? <laughs> oh, my God. You'd, you'd hope. Dear 
God, you'd hope. Okay, so uh, just to put the cards on the table, I was only made aware of this gimmick today. <laughs> yeah. As of, the, as of the recording of this podcast. And as the only, as the black guy of this, of this wonderful podcast, what am I looking at here? <laughs> you were looking at Charvo Guerrero in Bizarro World, basically. Uh, yeah. So for the untrained and the uninitiated, Kerwin White was the, uh, the short-lived gimmick of Charvo Guerrero, uh, a member of the famed and esteemed Guerrero wrestling family in Mexico. Kerwin White is the complete opposite of the Guerrero family in that he is a whiter-than-white man who came down in a golf caddy, wearing golf slacks for wrestling gear, may I add, waving to the people with the most Frank, Frank Sinatra song that's ever Frank Sinatra'd. But the lyrics get, get to me every time. A middle-class white suburbanite with the catchphrase, if it ain't white, it ain't right. Just think about the surrealism of Chavo Guerrero saying that. So, like, yeah, a man who, I as, as I believe, competed with his brother underneath the phrase Latino heat. Yeah, yeah, like Chavo Guerrero, for those of you who don't know who Chavo Guerrero is, first of all, look up Chavo Guerrero, he's great. Mm, but also, yeah. he just had, he, like, very quick sidebar, he just had the, um, he just had the bad luck of being, of wrestling next to Eddie goddamn Guerrero, that's the only reason. <laughs> that's the only reason. Yeah. But Chavo Guerrero, to, to paint you a picture, his entrance music was extremely latin music in the background <laughs> with a woman orgasming while saying his name that was his yeah that was his music ooh chavo no you don't it's like the breath like oh chavo just, yeah oh, like it's the most <laughs> i cannot yeah. do it justice you look it up it's amazing yeah so was this to be a thing so for 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 yeah, Nick I mean, I just want to I want to throw in my my quick bit here because I forgot about this gimmick because I mentioned what I when we were talking about his debut and I thought he debuted with the Spirit Squad. <laughs> we will mention in a moment. Oh okay. yeah, but, but I mean, I assume my brain just blocked out Kerwin White from existing as it should. As but, it should. Um. I, it was just weird for me to think about that it did actually go kind of this far back and that he had such a awful beginning place to start with. But like I said, when you start at the bottom, you can only go up. Yes. Um, and I think his wrestling like gear at that time spoke volumes. Like he had wrist tape on, but he was wearing golf shorts, a <laughs> polo shirt, and an argyle vest. Like... Uh, may I add that polo shirt with the with the uh, collar up as well, just to just to prove that he is a hard caddy. Um, you just love to see it, don't you? <laughs> he just screams New England. Just, just <laughs> mwah, perfect. But uh, it was very very short lived because uh, the thing that ended Kerwin White was the unfortunate passing of Eddie. Um, and it was pretty, and pretty much the Kerwin White gimmick faded into the background. And Charvo, thank God, 
became Charvo again. Um, but Nick, I know we said this a little bit before we started recording, but it does seem odd that that was the thing to stop that gimmick and not mm. anyone else. Yeah. But still, on to the next point because I don't want to spend too much time mentioning it. <laughs> so after being sent back down to uh, to OVW to uh, kind of get back into the swing of things, you know, figure out what to do next after this, it was a couple of matches here and there. Some with guys like Brent Albright, Aaron Stevens, the future Damian Sandow, uh, Mike Mazanin. Oh, do you remember Mike Mazanin? He, had, he went on yeah. to become the Miz. <laughs> Good lord. Hey, do you remember he was on Tough Enough, by the way? Do you remember? I, I, think, I think he mentioned it. Uh, as well as... Now, most people forget that he was on that same Tough Enough with Ryback. Mm. Ah. Uh. Mm. Lord of the Botch. <laughs> oh, Ryback! I, oh man, I can't, I can't hate you. I can't, I can't. And, and yet another thing that I can't hate, which we'll, we'll get to. But it was, <laughs> it was on a OVW house show on a five-on-four handicap match that Nick Nemeth became Nicky, and the Spirit Squad was born. Let's go! Okay, <laughs> right. Okay. Oh man. Right. How do people feel about Spirit Squad? Because I kind of <laughs> sort of love them. Spirit Squad. They was... are the most absurd thing. Once, once you give what, once you take a second to think about what they actually were, <laughs> they become the most absurd thing you've ever thought of. And let's not go into but like. <laughs> On their own, you're like it's that that's that makes sense. You know, it's a bunch mm. of prep preppy guys who uh, who all wrestled together as a team, and you know they take advantage of like what we term the free bird rule. Do you want to talk about that? Um, oh yes, the Pokédex. That's a very interesting. Yeah, Pokédex. All right, the free bird rule, named after the fabulous free birds. Mm. Essentially, it means that if enduring a tag, if you tag team champions. Only two can hold it. That's basically about it. That's basically how it goes. Hmm. Yeah. In... But effect, effect, yeah. Effectively, it's two people can hold it, but if you have more members if, in your tag team per se, any one of the members can defend it. Yes. It's what the New Day are known for doing now. <laughs> but, Especially if Xavier um, gets injured every so often. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But. Um, so yeah, and it makes sense. But then you, uh, you read into why or how they came into WWE, and effectively they were just a bunch of cheerleaders who used to go around with, I believe, just Vince. Yes. From yes. city to city, and it raises the question of why does Vince have them, <laughs> and like why are they there? <laughs> But uh, I'll let you. I'll let. I'll let you say your point because I think I know what you're going to say, Sam. Oh, uh, I mean, we talk about entrance themes, all right? But the Spirit Squads is just special, and I'm talking about special in that in the beginning, you have to do the roll call. But I think that what lives in infamy now is when Dolph or Nikki comes up. He is red faced. He looks like he's taken a line of coke, and he just screams, Nikki. <laughs> Yeah, it's the most glorious thing I've ever seen. 
the spirit squad work <laughs> in the same way that um it's a weird kind of mixture of like of like the undertaker <laughs> working because it's kind of like um if you like it kind it makes a lot of sense that a bunch of really athletic flippy guys <laughs> would come in and wreak havoc in a rest in a weird kind of it makes a weird kind of kayfabe sense yeah yeah only, no because it's like only, it, yeah. it makes perfect sense especially when you consider like a lot of the tag teams of the time were you know people who were kind of well known for being like you know troublemakers and you know, I think I think this was still around the time that like Team Extreme still existed, and it was on the back end of yeah. um, like Edge and Christian and stuff like that. Mm. So I get it. I get why they existed, mm. but it just becomes so weird. Fun fact as well about the Spirit Squad: Crime Time made their debut against them. Yes. Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's um, that's a mix of a match. <laughs> yep, Crime Time made their debut against the Spirit Squad and beat them. It's it's that that is just yeah. Um... <laughs> that's a fact. Sam, please continue. So after they were literally buried, stuffed into a <laughs> into a flight case with a sticker that said Destination OVW by yep. Triple H and Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yep. Lo and behold. We didn't see uh, Nikki for quite a while. It had been, I think it would be about two or so years Mm. after we'd see Nick back. Um, But after kind of refining his character uh, in OVW and eventually moving over to uh, FCW after the working agreement between OVW and WWE had ended, uh, we've skipped to 2008 and... uh, the debut of Dirk Diggler. I mean, Dolph Ziggler. So we can get right Dolph now. Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, let us get started then. Uh, so we've got all of that. We're now straight ahead. Let us talk about the the first initial thoughts of Dolph in his first few years from all of us. Uh, let us start with Reardon. What did you think of Dolph Ziggler when he kind of started? Okay, I'm going to put my hand up here. When I think Dolph Ziggler, I think of one thing and one thing only, and I oh. think you all know what it is. Oh, don't, don't, don't. You're going to you're gonna say her name, aren't you? No. <laughs> no, for God. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll leave you to say that. No. Um, <laughs> I think of one thing, and that is Ziggler selling. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That is the one thing. <laughs> if, if like, the oh man, the the Daniel Day Lewis of selling. I won't lie, he's one of the few people that actually still sells the DDT. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, here is a man who I who can ragdoll himself. In ways that should seem impossible. I will say this: the oh, the this is. I know this is this is a sidetrack, um, mm. but I believe it. I believe it was Ricochet who took an RKO, and my God, this guy like ends up standing on his head. 
Yes. Yes. It's so cursed. (laughs) (laughs) But it is like, it is great. But Ziggler is a fantastic seller. It's just unbelievable. Like, like, can we, like, um, Sam, Dan, please tell me, please tell me that he has sold a Stone Cold Stunner. Please tell me he's done that. I don't know. I'm fairly sure he probably has at some point. Yes. But I I will say, though, that selling of the selling of the stunner like the rock set the bar and now it's like a problem because now it's like every time someone gets stunned you accept them to do like a fucking full somersault <laughs> yeah no i admit that but it's like imagine imagine ziggler was selling the stunner only instead of the stunner he'd end up out of the any, ring <laughs> yeah instead of the stunner it's Literally any wrestling move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? It, on that tangent, the rocks at the bar, Scott Hall sent it to the stratosphere. Yeah. That uh, is true. That <laughs> is true. He sent himself to the stratosphere when he <laughs> sold it. <laughs> so if it's... I can only imagine what Dolph would be like, he would be out of the Milky Way into the next galaxy and be back before tea time. Maybe I legitimately he... think if he sold a stunner in the Royal Rumble, he would literally take the stunner and then jump over and out straight onto the floor. Or the world would spontaneously combust. I think... Possibly true as well. Um, I think if Ziggler sold the stunner to Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's a, a, a lot of alliteration actually right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think if he did that, I think he would be able to um, achieve terminal velocity. So... <laughs> It's so true. So yeah. Perhaps, perhaps for his own safety and ours, he shouldn't do it. <laughs> do you reckon we can get um a, an account of like Dolph Ziggler selling moves like the Rick Rude? Was it Rick Rude? Ah, yes. It's like the Twitter account where it's like Rick Rude selling atomic drops. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. There's gotta be someone's gotta have made that account surely. Someone I hope Twitter. someone's done it. Someone on if, Twitter if in the not, IWC, if there is already an account, or you're going to make an account, please, please just link it to our Twitter. Just at Dolph Sweet Ziggler Chinwag. selling moves. <laughs> yeah, like contact us at, at Sweet Chinwag. <laughs> yeah. Please. Um... <laughs> so yeah, my thoughts on Dolph when he started was, yeah, he's a pretty sound wrestler. Mm. Like, Granted, I think his character was a bit stilted to begin with, um, given like his whole thing of like chatting up ladies and going, my name is Dolph Ziggler. And that was pretty much all that there was. It was only yeah, when he got I remember, into the Yeah, I remember ring. the stint where he just used, where the only thing you say was, hi, I'm Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> Once he got into the ring, though, he was really good. So I thought, all right, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see how far he can go, and let's see how well he does. Sure enough, he does awesomely. Uh, And I think a lot of that has to do with some of the storylines and the people he was up against with. Uh, One of them, all right, like, we're going to get into another point now. The the angle with Vicky Guerrero and the whole thing of Vicky Guerrero being a cougar. (laughs) Okay, okay. All right. So... I think I had to do a slight Pokedex here. <laughs> what for? Cougar. <laughs> <laughs> please, people, people, please, our people, we all have 
our internet history. Like, let's not. Let's not. Let's <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hide away from this. I was just. It took me a moment. And I was like, why do we need the poker dates? We haven't mentioned a term yet. No. And then uh, you go there and he goes Cougar and I'm like, oh, that's where we are. <laughs> Alright, cool. No, we have to do a slight Pokedex on Vicky Guerrero. <laughs> oh my god, Vicky Guerrero. So, Vicky Guerrero is the widow of Eddie Guerrero. And so, and decided to come in as a valet and manager to quite a, to a few wrestlers. Mm. Her um, basic gimmick being the single most horrifying voice alive. <laughs> Good is lord. Only, is the only way to describe it. She's all, all how I've, I've heard her being described as before. She's the Dolores Umbridge of wrestling. Can I just say, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe during the angle where she was with Dolph Ziggler, she was Smackdown GM? Yes, I want to say yes. Yes. I believe yeah. she was, and that's why they, that's kind of like, I guess I assume why they paired them up. But oh, I mean, yeah. look, I'm I'm just going to be here and say, on one hand, I, I hate Vicky Guerrero, but on the other hand, I can kind of respect it. Yeah, on one hand, on one hand, I hate Vicky Guerrero. <laughs> on the other hand, I respect the hustle and how she just really made you hate her. Yeah. That is a great woman, character work. Yeah, that is a woman born to be a heel. And it stood the test of time for a number of years, so you can't yeah. fault Vicky yeah. for that one at all. Yeah, and also just uh, another quick Pokedex. GM is general manager. The general manager, the person who manages the show, essentially. In kayfabe. In kayfabe. In kayfabe. Yeah. In kayfabe is very goddamn important there. Holla, holla, holla. Yeah, in kayfabe. Hell yeah, Teddy Long, let's go. <laughs> this oh, podcast is now a tag team match. <laughs> Against The Undertaker. <laughs> yeah. In a steel cage. <laughs> this oh. evening is booked for a eight-man tag match. <laughs> and it starts right now. <laughs> Fucking oh, love Teddy Long. <laughs> oh, Teddy Long. The, the best general manager in history. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> The longest running, and quite arguably one of the best. All right, look, granted, I know a lot of people are annoyed with him, but good lord, he was entertaining as all hell. How could he be annoyed? You cannot, you cannot tell me he was one. He was not one of. He was the only time I became interested in a general manager. Yes. Yes. He he did like basically everything. It was incredible. So good. And he look, he was the he was one of the very few general managers to actually take an FU from John Cena. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that man, that man paid his fucking dues and was just a delight every goddamn second. I love yeah. him. I love him. Ah. Oh, so good. And the entrance music as well, but okay, we're getting sidetracked. Back to Vicky Guerrero and Dolph Ziggler. So um, this started quite a good quite I think this is what was the very uh, the very catalyst of Dolph getting up the card because at the time he was very much jobber to the stars up until Vicky Guerrero and he started then going up to the main card. He had a couple of intercontinental title runs in this time as well as a US championship run and I think one of the highlights of this time is his rivalry with Kofi Kingston 
they both brought out the best in each other, if you ask me. Mm. They had some it was better than his matches of Edge. Oof. <laughs> Oofed indeed. But no, I think both of them just are just absolutely a frenetic pace they both perform at. And I think. I mean, we, we, we all love Kofi here. Yes. Yeah. With his we all love Kofi here. And Dolph selling, they just, yeah, they just both brought out the best in each other at this time. Yeah. For absolute certain. Um. So yeah, we then get on to, I guess. What what what's the next? Where do we go from here? Do we go to his show off well, part? Then, well, I was gonna say because the next thing I remember was him with I believe AJ Lee and Biggie Langston. This is the show off part. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's what I remember. It did practically start with Vicky because one minute he was perfection, the next minute he was the show off, and then I think well, John yeah, Cena made I... like a little quip about, "Oh, you're perfection, and now you're a show off," or some silly little quip like that. Yeah, because because what I remember is I mentioned the Edge matches. So I remember, I believe he had a world title match where the stipulation was that Edge couldn't use the spear. Yes. <laughs> which was just one of the most A, confusing matches, and B, just a prerequisite for Edge to use the spear. However, I do... Was this the one with the greatest Edge promo? I th- possibly. This one. I think it's I think it's the, this one. I think you're right, Reardon. With where where Ed seems to be a little obsessed with the spear. Mm. And just yeah. end, and ends up just going spear 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 spear. And <laughs> trust me. Well yeah. So to to describe the the, the context around this match, um in in kayfabe, I believe it may have been real, but I, as far as I know, in kayfabe, um, Edge used the spear on Dolph Ziggler, which injured him, uh... or gave him a kayfabe injury, mm. and so Vicky Guerrero banned Edge from using the spear <laughs> um, to set up a title match where Edge couldn't use the spear against Dolph Ziggler, and of course, what happens other than? Some kind of ref interference, I believe. I believe it's something to do with Vicky Guerrero, where she distracts the ref, and then Edge is just like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to spear him anyway." Yeah. Uh, obviously, he he does it. The ref isn't looking, so Vicky Guerrero starts complaining to the ref. Ref doesn't see anything. Dolph Ziggler gets pinned and loses. But that does set up his whole transition to uh, the show off period, where he gets AJ Lee. I believe that's the same time when he gets the Money in the Bank briefcase. I believe so, yes. In this yeah. time as well, around that time, I remember the start of the year, he had a really good uh, match at the Royal Rumble against CM yep. Punk for the World Heavyweight title, or for the WWE Championship, I should say. Uh, should say. That was a bloody good match. Uh, Punk mm-hmm. as well was one of those guys that really worked well with Dolph, I think. Um, yep. And that was the time. I mean, let's be honest. At the time, Punk was white hot. He was the biggest commodity they had in that company. And so for him to be in a program uh, with him, for Dolph to be in a program with Punk, only elevated him to now being the upper mid card. And this is where we get, you know, the proper show off and him, you know, making his mark on the world. So that brings us to, I guess, the best thing we can talk about. I guess is 
the first part of why we think it, uh, WWE may have squandered him. And we get to probably his career highlight, the uh, the SmackDown. Uh, I think it was the SmackDown after Mania, if I correct me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, yep. Where uh, he cashed in his briefcase against Alberto Del Rio. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, feelings on this match. Can I use this as a side note to mention one thing about Dolph Ziggler that I also think has held him back? Go right ahead. I've always found his choice of finishers to be really weird. <laughs> the yeah. I, I, I think the zigzag is not a bad finishing move. It's not a bad move, but I think it's a weird move. Mm, it's very yeah. it's 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 the way he executes it as well. I just like I won't deny. Weird. It's unique, and in a way, it kind of looks like it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Because it looks like he's just yanking your shoulders and pulling you to the floor. Yeah, I think... Oh, what, um, yeah, I it think still what... looks weird. And then if I remember as well, after the zigzag, he's had the super kick. And the sleeper hold. The sleeper hold. Did he use the Famouser at one point? As a signature move, yes. Okay, he didn't use it as a finisher, though. No, no, I don't believe so. <laughs> okay, because I won't lie, at least the zigzag kept him unique. Mm. But after that, he just had moves that had been done by other people. I think, or for know, a lot of people, were just transitional moves. Mm. I, I think the weird thing about um, the zigzag is that, um, what I, why I agree with you, Dan, that I've always found it a weird finisher, is that, yeah, it looks like it hurts, you're just not sure how it hurts. <laughs> is it hurting the opponent or is it hurting the person executing them? <laughs> yeah, well, for that, like, if, like if it was like um, like for instance, a Rob Van Dam, like frog splash, which would like hurt, but you can see how it will hurt Rob Van Dam as well, which gives yeah. it that kind of beautiful balance. But. <laughs> I'm like, is it hurting his shoulder, the back? Is it hurting his head? I don't know. I don't know what bit it's meant to target. Mm. That's meant yeah. to end the match. <laughs> but Eddie, anyway, I think it. I think like it's one of those things that it just kind of looks. It looks odd, and but like the good thing about it, as I say, of any good finisher, is it conceivably looks like it could be done in any situation. Yes. Mm. Like that, 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 that's the kind of thing I like. I don't like it when I don't particularly like it when finishers have you know massive amounts of setup, or they need to be super specific. Mm. Um, you know, like I've said, I love Finn Balor. I love the coup de gras, <laughs> and I love the entire concept of jumping from the top rope and stomping on someone's chest. Yeah, but my God, does it require so much setup? And also <laughs> making me think, how the fuck do you do that and not hurt the other person? But anyway, you it's know, I, like... I, I do I do like it as a move because it's like, it looks like, you know, he could be somewhere in the match and then he kind of builds up some momentum, hits it, and then the match ends. Yeah. Um, now, I correct... definitely think that's a good thing. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I want to say, wasn't it injury? Uh, I think it was an injury, wasn't it? Or a concussion. Uh, well, they're both the yeah. same thing. That cost that kind of cost Dolph's um, title run. Yeah, so he so he got the title from Del Rio, um, and then I be- I believe it was something like a week or two after 
Um, he was in a, a match with Del Rio that was non-title. Mm. Uh, and I mean, obviously, with wrestling, reports vary, rumors circulate. But uh, one of the things people have said about Del Rio is that he, I believe, he botched a kick, uh, and it gave Dolph Ziggler a minor concussion. Oof. Um, after which, uh, as is reportedly said about uh, Vince, is that if you pick up an injury in your first week of your title reign, regardless of how big or small it is, it kind of sets the tone and says that you will be losing it. Um, <sighs> and so, uh, yeah, he has it. He gets his concussion. Uh, then loses in his first title defense back against Alberto Del Rio. Yep. Um, and then she uh, just kind of ends up in the ether. Yeah, kind of. I, I remember him having, like, I think it was a couple of pay-per-views after that. He had mm -hmm. uh, losses to Del Rio. And yep. then, like, slowly and surely, the whole thing of Big E being his, you know, his, his bodyguard them yep. having a rivalry and that was it like not after that i never we never kind of saw a whiff of dolph getting you know back at the the world title he had a yeah couple and of it, title... it's 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 weird because i feel like they could have set up a good feud with that yeah mm. i mean especially if you consider the the non-kayfabe implications of Alberto Del Rio giving Dolph Ziggler a legitimate concussion. Yeah, it makes you wonder why or what, um, how did both of them not get punished for that, you know? But um, but let, let's be honest, at the end of that year, Dolph did have his best match, which was a Christmas present on a pole match against Fandango. No. Um, cool. <laughs> Bless up, Fandango. Oh, God... Bless that man. No, uh, at least he got the fashion police. At least he, at least yep. he got better or, with I've like a fine wine. No bad talk about Fandango on this podcast. Sam. <sighs> I would hear no bad talk on it. You're not gonna have any bad talk about Fandango because, god damn it, as weird as I find him and as weird a concept as it is, and as weird an introduction it was, something about that man persevering with that with that name and that gimmick just I'm I I admire it. I don't, I don't. It's not. I don't mind Johnny Curtis the man. It's. I just. I didn't. I just. I just had a problem with the way creative were treating him. I. I get that. I get that. But we will still have no bad talk on it. <laughs> Let's get then into arguably one of his big years, but also a bit a massive stickling point in in this whole discussion. Twenty fourteen. Ooh. Yep. I think 2014, if I'm remembering correctly, that was like six years ago now, dear God. Yeah. That was a weird year for everyone, if I'm thinking mm -hmm. correctly. Yeah, this was uh, a weird, a weird. It felt like a transitional year mm. for everything, for WWE yeah. as a whole. Like, yeah, so I think the big thing from this time, uh, and one of the big uh, talking points of this whole uh, discussion around Dolph Ziggler, especially at this time, uh, was, I believe they were called the Authority. 
Oh, not the authority. And it was like Triple H, Seth Rollins, and a few other people. So, if I remember correctly, yeah, Triple H, Stephanie, Seth from his uh, heel turn from The Shield, Kane, Big Show, and J&J Security, consisting of Joey Mercury and Jamie Noble. That's right. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I forget that this is the era of corporate Kane. Corporate Kane. Uh, That man who wrestled in slacks and work shoes. Yep. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was such... I think we talk about dark times in wrestling. (laughs) In terms of transitional years and... Yeah, I don't is... even know if it's about if it's a particularly dark time. I think it's just forgettable. Yeah. I think that's what they were trying to do. Like with Team Authority, they were trying to make the big the next big heel faction kind of like the corporate ministry in that sense. Yeah. But it just failed on so many levels. Yeah. And you know what? I kind of um I do kind of often wonder as to why it failed so badly. It's not the worst on paper it's no when it's weird when you take in when you look at the uh, the wwe at that time you had triple h who was you know he was now in the backroom staff you know he was running nxt at this point and he was uh he was a he was the face of nxt at, the, at that time with the boss and seemingly the good guy uh, people cheered for Triple H. They thanked Triple H for putting on these amazing shows and grabbing, getting all of this talent uh, from across the world and in and throughout the American Indies. And then you tune into Raw, and he's coming across as that entitled prick heel uh, who's going yet again on the twenty-minute promos when he had grown out of that so long ago, and we now have a new generation of wrestlers, and we're now back to the 20 minute opening promos so yeah it's just it's just weird having that weird kind of flip side of triple h being the good guy in nxt and then the next week he's being a bad guy Uh, i think a lot of it as well is uh, it just seemed the booking at that time just was all over the place yeah it definitely was um given like you had all of these guys at your disposal and it just seems like they were pulling and they were shifting focus still on Cena and Brock and and uh, and Triple H uh, when you had, yeah. oh my goodness, you had uh, when you had at that time let's think, Luke Harper Rusev, Seth Rollins Dolph Ziggler uh, Ryback um, <laughs> um, Bray Wyatt, like all of these yeah. guys at your disposal. Yeah. And it's like, Cesaro. All right, there you go. There you go. Well, I can't oh, Cesaro. My boy Cesaro. This oh, was the, let's Cesaro. not forget, 2013 to 2014 was the time they could have pulled the trigger on Cesaro. And I think he would be much bigger than he already is. But alas. You know what? We, you we, know never, what? we never got it. You know what? I'm going to hold my damn tongue. Because if I don't. All right. Let me just let me just write down next. Let me just write down next to Reardon's name. Just big letters. Cesaro episode. Ah, don't don't do this. Because literally, I'm like the moment you mentioned that man's name, 
I almost took over this entire episode and like we're scrapping it. We're talking about Cesaro. This is over. <laughs> Look, <laughs> don't worry because next week is going to be my episode and you're going to get to hear me rant and rave and just be sad. <laughs> <laughs> we will get on to a Cesaro slash club. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli episode because Reardon, me and you, oh, we have got a lot to talk about on that subject. Yeah. But um, okay. But anyway. so you saying all this stuff about uh, you know, all these people, I would like to mention one thing because the big point we're going to come up to um, is discussion about Survivor Series 2014, mm. and I would like to point out one thing about uh, Survivor Series 2014 that Dolph Ziggler was a part of. Mm. Which is that supposedly he wasn't actually meant to be in the match. Yes. It was he... actually meant to be Roman Reigns. Yeah. Really? And at one if it and if I'm correct, and this might just be me imagining this, it was Roman, and then when they couldn't get Roman, they had what they wanted Dean. And then when Dean I think Dean might have been either injured or he was already in a like a like already in like an angle. And when they couldn't have Dean, they went with Dolph. Yeah, I can't remember about the involvement of Dean Ambrose, but I do remember that it was originally meant to be Roman Reigns. Something about it originally meant to be Roman Reigns, and then it went to Dolph Ziggler. For some I don't reason, know about the chain of progression, though. Yeah, for some reason, I, I, I might be getting my timeline mixed up, but for some reason, I can see that um, Ambrose was holding the WWE Championship at that time. I might be mm. entirely on, wrong on that one, though. Possibly. You know what? I don't actually know. See, I can't this, think of the top of my head. See, this because is I how forgettable to... 2014 was. Yeah, because I could have sworn at some point he was up against Kevin Owens for the championship. Mm. And it might have been then, but I might be completely wrong. I might be talking right out my ass then. <laughs> uh... Maybe. I think it might While you be. guys discuss it, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> yeah, because it's like... But yeah, ah, Survivor Series 2014. So, the Survivor Series traditional 10-man tag elimination match. We have Team Cena, consisting of Mr. Ziggles, Eric Rowan, John Cena, the big guy, right back, and the big show. Uh, Going up against Team Authority, which consists of Kane, Luke Harper, the up and coming Mark Henry. <laughs> wait, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Real quick, back up, back up. Back up there. Luke, Luke Harper, really? Yeah, Luke. Yeah. This was our. How did, they get, how did they get a member of the Wyatt family in there? Now, if you remember. The Wyatt family had dissolved at this point, and Eric Rowan was a good guy, and Luke Harper was a bad guy. Right. Don't ask okay. me why. Uh, Rusev, makes... who really should have been more than this in this match, and Seth Rollins. Look, I just... I just... This match was weird for a lot of reasons, not only because Big Show went through his 150th heel turn during the match, may I add... I... but it's just I like oh, we want to build these guys up 
yeah, we've got an up-and-coming guy called Mark Henry and Kane. They definitely need the push. And, you know, who hasn't seen the big show? We haven't seen the big show in the wild. Put him back in the ring. <laughs> you know what? I'm just looking at this team. I'm just so confused. <laughs> John Cena and Dolph Ziggler and the big show I can get, right? Mm. What were Ryback and Eric Rowan really doing there? No clue, because I think they were pushing them as baby faces. Now, if you, if I remember correctly, um, there was a storyline where the authority, uh, I think John Cena got Dolph, Eric, and Ryback fired uh, from yeah. the company, and then they got reinstated. Um, uh, <laughs> I think this might have been after. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So this is going to be a thing that I'm that we're going to mention. So obviously we have this match where Dolph Ziggler does like an absolute amazing performance and is the sole survivor I believe uh, he's, or... the sole, he's the sole survivor of Team Cena and when all hope is lost for Team Cena with Dolph being the only one left Triple H pedigree him into the ground and getting the uh, and the, the referee that's in Triple H's pocket Scott Armstrong to do the free count the lights go black and we have the crow noise. Yeah, this was the debut of Sting in WWE, guys. As it well. was. That's wow, that was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Wow, man. Also, can I just like make a quick point? Why did they try to make Ryback a baby face? Ryback was essentially corn from from Warhammer 40k, who does not care where the blood flows, only that it flows. Look, my only... F <laughs> my thoughts on Ryback are this. His heel turn, and the fact that Ryback can't say bully to save his life. He has to say bully. Every time you go back, he goes, You're a bully. This is what happens to bullies. The only thing I can say about Ryback is the fucking interview with, I believe, CM Punk. Where he just says, like, where he's talking about a match he has prepped with him. Um, and then he just says some he says something along the lines of like You keep messing this up. Either say you're doing it on purpose or say that you're an idiot. <laughs> I can't forget the time Paul Heyman kissed right back on the cheek, but that's for another time. That is for another time and not now. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, thoughts on Dolphin this year? Because it was, it was such a weird... After the year he'd had previous, for such a forgettable year that was 2014, that was not his fault. I think that is just the fault of WWE as a whole. It just seemed like he had fizzled for me, like fizzled out. It, from, from my perspective, it just looked like everything that had Dol that was going for Dolph and his push up the card just went... I, I don't want to blame Triple H and the authority and John Cena, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing I was going to say, which is that Dolph Ziggler does amazingly, you know, there's the interference by Sting and you get that massive moment out of it. But, like, you know, he's built up this really, really, sh like, you know, big following he's like become cemented as a baby face and mm. people were loving it yeah but he, he, here's what i here's what i picked out 
<laughs> he went from being the guy who was the sole survivor and like the key to that match to being the guy who has to thank Cena for having a job. Yeah. And as much as I, you know, I absolutely loved it because I was like, yes, this is going to be his push. But then once again, as some people might say, it kind of became the Cena show. Yeah. It became, it became the thing of like, oh, well, I guess he's got to just thank John Cena now. It's nothing to do with him. <sighs> yeah, it's a weird. It's such a weird thing at that time, because uh, we we seem to we are at the um in, we are at the apex of Super Cena era, aren't we? Yeah, twenty fifteen. Yep. I would definitely say so. Yeah. So after this, um, and I think he had a he had a run and a little rivalry for the IC title with I think it was Bad News Barrett and Dean Ambrose. Um, his next big storyline was with rusev and the whole love triangle thing uh it was so nice that they did it twice ladies and gents um (laughs) but this one was uh, thoughts on this one because it just it for me it boggled my mind that this even happened yeah it was this the time of um of really ultra Russian Lana or was this she... was ultra Russian Rusev and Lana yeah okay yeah th- that's weird as hell that's weird as hell like basically um Americanized <laughs> Americanized Rusev and Lana I get that 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 makes sense okay I but... just want to say this quickly I believe I've checked into it. And I believe at that time, the WWE champion was actually Brock Lesnar. Of course. That's why it was so forgettable. Hot takes, hot takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, like that despite Lana looking like, well, Lana, <laughs> she was relatively sexless. To put it crudely, like that's a weird angle to have. Yeah, and the inclusion of Summer Ray as well, and Rusev kind of doing this weird thing where each week he's making Summer Ray look more and more like Lana, uh, and then, <laughs> and, then gift, and then gifting her a fish. Um, I just and then the whole thing of Dolph kind of making Lana wear more denim and having her hair down, and again. This is the thing that makes me laugh. This was only stopped when Lana posted a picture of an Instagram of her engagement ring with Rusev. <laughs> it's just wow. like everything with Dolph at this time, in terms of creative, is just stop and start. Like, like start, and then just like an immediate roadblock. Like, the wall is immediately there. Bang. That's it. He just has the worst luck. He has the worst luck in the world. Not only, I, I, I feel, with his creative, but times with injuries. Uh, yeah, you can't can't fault the man. Sometimes, you know, concussions get concussions. And I know the argument's been brought up that, oh, well, his selling and the way he moves around the ring is root cause of that, of those concussions. It's like, nah. no, 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 no. Not at all. Like, like that dude sells ridiculously but he also 
sells safely. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, like we said, it's kind of put down to... It's put down to either a botched kick or some other kind of incident while training, working with Alberto Del Rio. But most people reporting it mention Alberto Del Rio's name. So (laughs) we can kind of hold him as, as the possible root cause of this. But again, you know... It, it is kind of unfortunate that it is an injury and an unfortunate turn of events and unfortunate bookings that have kind of put him in this weird point because I'd love to see him go somewhere else. I'd love to see him do a Drew McIntyre, get out of there, yeah. go to the Indies, come back. Mm. But I know it's just not possible for him. <laughs> it's really surprising that he hasn't had a, a, at least a short indie run. Yeah. It's really weird. It's really bizarre. <laughs> It like it actually like when you like telling me that when you had said when you were mentioning Sam that like he started and has always been in the WWE, mm. my brain just went, That can't be right. <laughs> that can't be right. Surely that man was in TNA for a hot second. Surely. No. Alas. Like <laughs> it's kind of a weird it's a weird one. He's one of those guys where like he would be like setting the world alight anywhere else mm. like like there are like there are wrestlers in the WWE that you could say that about that yeah but oh yeah but Dolph Ziggler like my god you get the feeling that if it were if he were in Cody's position he'd probably be doing the exact same amount of success or have the exact same amount of success that Cody's had yeah. um for yeah, sure yeah i mean <sighs> Again, it's it's a weird kind of thing because I keep looking at him and I keep thinking like you know he's someone that could. I think he is deserving of that of that push. Mm. He is someone. Maybe not. I don't necessarily know if he's on exactly the same lines as Kofi. He obviously has had a world title reign before, mm. but he's someone that I'd love to see get a push. Because I think he's someone who could do a good run. Absolutely. Yeah. Or even if he is just up there competing for the title and maybe not necessarily winning. Mm. But, you know, I think he could hold a strong main event status, especially in a time where maybe WWE is starting to think like, well, you know, we're going to kind of need to add more to our main event talent than just throwing Bobby Lashley into matches. (laughs) Here's a question, actually. Uh, um, has he ever like teamed up with John Morrison? No. That's no. Weird. <laughs> well, because John Morrison's always like, well, the John Morrison ones I can remember were obviously Miz and Morrison. Yeah. Which has been on and off for like the last however many years. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't John Morrison have a brief tag team stint with Kofi Kingston? Our truth, actually. Our truth. Fuck, that makes me sound so bad. It does. <laughs> but mind you, our truth and Kofi have been in tag teams with everyone. Hell, Kofi and our truth are in the tag team themselves. So yeah. it makes it makes. Can I just say, sense. I remember the Kofi Kingston Evan Bourne tag team. My God, I loved that shit. Oh, that was great. Air that boom. Was... Who didn't? Who love? Who didn't love air boom? Even though, as a, even though, as a, um, as. A, a person of 
Jamaican, my family is partly Jamaican. So I always kind of look at Kofi like, no. <laughs> you know, so even though you're from Ghana, you're still my man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, even yeah, that's basically it. Like he's honorary get, Jamaican. You, you get a pass, Kofi, but don't do it again. And <laughs> uh, WWE have tried their best to never bring that up again, except for the one time Triple H called him out on it, and that one time they went into a time machine and he was Jamaican. Yeah, I was again. gonna say, didn't they yeah. do that? Uh, the, 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 time, the time machine, time machine was good. Triple H, you can shut the hell up about anything. Kofi <laughs> <laughs> Kingston does. Be quiet. Sit down. <laughs> uh, okay, so after a f- couple more uh, runs with the Intercontinental title, we get to where should we get to from this point? Do we talk? Where do we? Where do we go? Do we talk about the time? Yes, the time he left and came back and then started doing that weird thing where he had a nervous breakdown and was coming out as different wrestlers. Oh, um, that yeah. yeah, that was a very weird time um i think a lot of i think that was it was a kayfabe blurring uh blurring line kind of thing where he was trying to call out uh the iwc for kind of um the whole thing of oh Dolph does, should deserve more and it's like oh i'm deserving more well then i'll just be every like everybody else we and he came out as bailey at one point which was really weird um and then everyone... yeah i always remember i remember the goldberg one which was incredibly surreal <laughs> And then everyone making the comparison that he is Shawn Michaels by hell. Let's just make him like Shawn Michaels and give him a big bloke. And who do they give him as a big bloke? Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Now, fair play. Give it to you this one. They did work well together, I think. And they did have a pretty damn good double team finisher of combining the Claymore with the zigzag. That wasn't bad yeah. at all. It's again, it's just this weird. It is just this weird, weird thing where they kind of ca- could have capitalized on this, but they never did. Nope. And I mean, I mean, I know a lot of people were like, "Oh, this is something different," but I think it was as clear as day that they were trying to make Dolph a lot like Shawn Michaels. It was pretty damn obvious for what yeah. they were doing and the way like Dolph was carrying himself and the way he was cutting promos and stuff with drew there it was damn obvious to see (laughs) um which brings us on to i guess the 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 big one the most recent one and the one kind of we've titled this podcast or this episode after um his rivalry his reignited rivalry with kofi with kofi as wwe champion Mm -hmm. and his now famous, famous promo. It should have been me. That this was a a, a moment that was very disappointing for me. I think this one hurts me a little bit more. Yeah. Than normal. Yeah. I felt like because that was something that I was always very interested in. The moment Kofi was crowned, I was like, okay, who are they gonna get? Because that's actually. It's actually a difficult question with Kofi. Mm. He's a weird one. He could do a lot of different people, but just because of um his nature and just of his career at that time, mm. it was kind of like, who does he really face that feels legitimate, that feels right? So oh, when, yeah. yeah. So when Dolph came back and was like, I want this because it should have been me. I should be... Uh, we 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 have basically similar career, and it should be me. I was like, 
wow, that makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah. a lot of mm. Especially considering now that you reminded me that he has connections with Big E. Yeah. Yeah. So two-thirds of the New Day he has connections with. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense and should have... That if done right, that would have been an absolute barnstormer, and that would have been one that would have stuck up on people, myself included. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, Mm. it would have been good to see that like extra layer of storytelling to it, and I mean, the only way I can think to describe it is I remember seeing that promo and just kind of feeling sad. Yeah. 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 And like just hearing him say, "It's like because I learned it should have been me." I was like, oh my god, like that actually like touches me to my soul. Like Yeah. Yeah, that's just like that... a real mm, that line it's alone like... sold it for me. I was like, right, I'm invested. I wanna I I wanna see this be a long a long story rivalry. It already has, yeah. but give this the time it deserves to f- grow and thrive and be something that people go yeah. that's a fantastic storyline. But did they? <laughs> oh, did they fuck? <laughs> oh. oh man, I think I think throughout all this, I think we're gonna have a conclusion to this. But I think we can already surmise a conclusion to all of this. But to get past that and to the point of this rivalry, it just God, you. This was the one time I thought, right, you have this now on a silver platter. Don't screw it up. And the booking was weird of the whole thing as well. And the worst part of it for me, as like both a fan of Ziggler and a fan of Kofi, was that it hurt both of them. Yeah. It, yeah. Because it, it was like, because it hurt, it hurt Ziggler for obvious reasons. Yet again, he's not gotten the chance to really shine and prove himself, win or lose. Mm. And it really hurt Kofi because it kind of it confirmed what a lot of people's fear was for the Kofi run. Mm. In that it was like it was literally just look, we're gonna give it to him because it looks bad that we have him. Yeah. Oof, yeah, it was kind of the hurts. thing with the Kofi run because you know it just kind of quickly became a case of like oh well i guess we'll just kind of you know enough people have said to us that they want kofi to be champion so i guess we'll do it yeah and it's so sad they didn't give him the they didn't give either of them the backing to really let it run through because i seriously think that those two guys could have had a great thing going on Mm. i I think we'll we'll talk about that in a future podcast uh yeah it's scheduled in don't worry (laughs) yeah, so <laughs> I will leave it at that, but because we're talking about Ziggler here, but it was just, yeah. it was such, a, it was so disappointing. Yeah, it really was. I think that's, ah, uh, that's just the whole long and short of it, really, isn't it? It's just like they never give him the like something, whether it's um, whether it's injuries, bad luck, or creative, he just never gets the time. That seems to be the thing with. Ziggler. He never gets the time. Mm. Although very, very recently. <laughs> maybe I, I'm I'm curious of what you guys think of it. Mm. Oh, 
it just seems like just when it, the gears start to to move for him and he's right about to get going with it it just kind of like stops and i feel like i've been saying that verbatim this entire thing it just abruptly stops yeah, yeah um the only thing i could really point out and think of is that um it kind of tends to be this recurring thing because like, i will say compared to a lot of people he's had a lot of shots and a lot of chances mm. but that it's often that they just never get fully realized everything yeah. never quite gets there he's become a bit of an almost man a bit of a maybe man yeah because you but... just keep thinking maybe just maybe this is the time like survivor <laughs> series 2014 i was like this is gonna be it this is gonna be the time that he's gonna do it he's gonna get that chance to get back to where he was because I'll, I'll be straight up and say uh back at that time of that initial run with vicky guerrero i hated the man's soul yeah. but that's because he was that because he was fantastic at what he did yeah i absolutely i bought in and i absolutely hated him and again like looking back on him i'm like you know what that was just great work by him it was a fantastic pairing he did great with aj lee Mm. Who was a who was again a fantastic counterpoint heel to work with him. I think it worked pretty well. I won't lie. Biggie was basically just there, but whatever. Mm. Um, but you know, it just, it just kind of kept always thinking like, this is going to be the time. This is going to be a time. This is going to be a time, and just no. Yeah, it was. Uh, sister, what do you, what do you guys think of the most recent big storyline with Ziggler? The, the big love triangle. I mean, leading right, leading up to that and the line storylines he'd been in, he'd had right numerous title opportunities against Kofi during his run, including one at Super Showdown. Um, he had that short-lived tag team with Kevin Owens, and then that really short-lived tag team with Bobby Roode. And oh then, my god, yeah. Yeah. And then don't even remember it. And don't then he, even remember. And then going up to this, I'll remember uh at the beginning of the year, like the 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 six man tag match of the loser eats dog food match that he had with him, Rude, and Corbin against Roman Reigns and the Usos. Let's never forget about that. Oh wait, no, <laughs> let's forget it. Let's just forget it ever flipping happened. And let I... us not forget that in Super Show in the most recent Super Showdown, Mansoor defeated Dolph Ziggler. Manny. Bloody big booty Manny defeated Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> Actually, no, I have nothing against Mansoor. It's just he is a bit of a running joke with the new Legacy guys, Johnny, uh, Johnny especially. Um, but after that, he kind of got somehow suddenly inserted into the the Mandy Rose uh, story, uh, the Mandy Rose Otis storyline. Yeah. Weirdly, because it just felt for me, it just felt like. We've got nothing else for Dolph. Oh, he's a good-looking guy. Mandy Rose would be attracted to him. Let's make that a thing. I don't even know. I I think I like the conclusion of that little storyline more than the whole thing as a whole. Yes. And I'll play fair. Otis did have a good Mania match against Dolph. He uh, did. And I think Dolph needs to be kind of commended 
for uh, for that as well as Otis for putting on a putting on a good match. I mean, we talked about that, Ridden, didn't we? About that yeah. Mania match in at length. Um, yeah, it's been a shockingly affecting match. Mm, so, because I because I'll be I'll be honest, I'm one of those guys who's I'm always a bit I've always kind of tuned off when it comes to relationship storylines and like <laughs> I yeah. Like you have to be really good to keep my interest. If it has to be like really good. If we're talking about relationship ones, I think like the one for me that makes it that works is the Jericho Christian Trish Stratus Love Triangle from two thousand and four. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. Because it came up yeah. with a really good match at WrestleMania twenty. As yeah. kind of this one did came yeah, up with a good one. Enough. The weird thing for me is that this is still ongoing as of this recording like mm. it could have ended at mania i think it probably would have done well to have ended at mania but now that like ziggler and sonya deville are a thing and mandy rose and otis are a thing and they're having mixed match tag matches it's i feel like it's kind of run its course and i feel like maybe for the first time ever this is a Dolph ziggler storyline that kind of needed to stop abruptly <laughs> how about that so yeah in conclusion to everything we've talked about the thing that has squandered Dolph Ziggler I think is a twofold thing it's momentum and creative um, and that is nothing against Dolph and not a knock on Dolph at all because I think throughout the face of that he has shown great adversity and has really pushed and tried so damn hard so damn hard to break through um, even when the odds seem stacked against him uh, so I, f- I feel like a nice little thing here is his percentage and statistics his win-loss mm-hmm. record in his entire career. This, this is, is surprising. Uh, thanks again to Cage Match. Uh, so, in a total of n- 1,989 matches to date, he's won 818 and has lost 1,143. Cool. So that is 41.1% win- winning win percentage and a 57.5% loss percentage oh wow yeah that is that's a lot that is a lot to take in and again it's that i think it's that thing that kind of details his creative (laughs) his creative stickling point if you ask me you know what i think if if Dolph Ziggler has one thing in his arsenal is that no one in WWE right now has a better claim to being called the ultimate underdog. And I think that is partly why people love him. And why and they hate partly, creative. Yeah. I, no, and I yeah. think partly why I, why I, even despite all of this, doing this podcast and hearing that, quite frankly, staggering statistic. Mm. God damn it, I still believe. <laughs> despite myself. Yeah. Despite all evidence of the contrary. I think that's my final thought. I still believe in Ziggler. At 39 years young, I still am of the fervent belief that he has still quite a lot ahead of him. 
Mm-hmm. And I, it's it's sad to think from 2004 to 2020, I still think we've not seen the fullest potential in terms of where he could be on that card um, for Dolph Ziggler. I think, you know, he is as good as he has ever been. His moveset's incredible. His promo work is top-notch. He still has ramen for hair, but I, I look past that. <laughs> Dolph... What, what, what I look past, and I always have, is, is, the, is the zebra. I can't. I can't. Oh my god. I can't. I have tried so hard to like it, but I just can't. I hate it. I hate it so much. Oh, look, if they didn't want him to be enough like Sean, just put zebra print on him. There you go. Perfect. It's terrible. And I'm a guy who's not averse to leopard print or animal print. I'm not. But it's so bad. But in conclusion, and my final thought for me, I'd say Dolph is, I think in the history of WWE, the most underrated superstar they've ever had. Yep. it's He's definitely, he's definitely up there with a few other talents I can kind of think of. Um, but he is one of those kind of, what I would term unrealized potential. I'm throwing air quotes up as I speak here, but I feel like that's probably the best way to describe him. Uh, and thus concludes this episode. And what a what a what an intriguing episode and a lot and I do like where the, the rabbit holes we dug down and the kind of little chronicle retrospective of, of Ziggler's career. It's been a heck of a lot of fun. As it's ever, been an gentlemen. emotional ride, boys. Oh, yeah, sure yeah. as heck has. So, all that's left for me to say is coming up on next week's episode. Oh, do we have a doozy of an episode next week? We chronicling one of my favourite times as a wrestler, and also one of the times I absolutely loathed and detest, thanks to a certain person. Again, um, <laughs> it is the summer of punk, twenty eleven. Ah! <laughs> this is that that I think that episode is the one where I'm going to be the most silent and I'm just going to let you guys get it all out of your systems. You're going to hear me scream like that multiple times throughout the episode. And as a nice little teaser for everyone, yes, I will be doing a little mini retrospective on the Summer of Punk 2005 to give these guys a little context on just how 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 unrealized the potential of the 2011 one the Dolph Ziggler one of Summer of Pug I call it now (laughs) (laughs) so again all that's left for me now is to say thank you so much for listening ladies and gents and beyond from myself and from these two lovely gents this has been the Sweet Chenwag podcast and we will see you on the next episode tatty bye bye